This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 243 with Chris Harder. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to give yourself permission to attract abundance, wealth, and success into your life, and to be absolutely unapologetic in the pursuit of your dreams in health, relationships, and money. My guest today is Chris Harder. After an 11-year career as an executive and partner in the banking industry, Chris experienced plenty of success. However, he severely lacked fulfillment and was completely burned out. Recognizing that a change needed to be made, he retired from banking in 2011 and partnered with his wife, Lori, and her brand, LoriHarder.com, along with their Asagenics network marketing business. Chris now handles most of the business affairs and business coaching for their two multi-million dollar brands and has found exactly the fulfillment and happiness he was seeking in a career. Chris is the host of the new hit podcast for the love of money aimed at helping people bust through their limiting money mindset beliefs in order to become unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success. Chris's belief is that when good people make good money, they do great things. It's through interviewing business moguls and celebrities and exposing their exciting stories of contribution and philanthropy that he helps prove that money is a tool for good with many needs. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. I've also created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info at cashflowninja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. I've always thought that if there are only a handful of people that have built indestructible wealth in any economy and more market, why are we following the advice and doing what the majority of people are doing that are struggling financially? My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for high yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at the Mahogany Bay Village in Belize, investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the United States, and ATM syndication opportunities, visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. Are you interested in real estate investing but don't know where to start? Join Ops Properties as the premier provider of turnkey lease option investment properties. With their proven system, you can have cash flow within 30 days. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinopsproperties.com. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth 
yourself and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Chris, welcome to the show. MC, my man, it's a privilege to be on. Could you share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yes, absolutely. So I was Midwest born and raised uh, here in the US. And the cool thing about being raised in the Midwest, you know, it's a good spot to, to raise a family because it gives you a good moral foundation. You get good uh, work ethic in the Midwest. You know, you're brought up with a sense of family and, and loyalty and so those are some good traits to have as a foundation. And I always say, if you can take those traits and go to one of the coasts, um, and I'm obviously just referring to the U.S. right now, but if you can take those traits and go to one of the coasts where all the action's going on, that's kind of the perfect case scenario. You know, that, that's the perfect storm for doing really well. And so that's what my wife and I did. We're both Midwest born and raised, been married for 12 years, and we took those good foundational elements and we brought them out here to Los Angeles. And it's been a dream come true from the weather standpoint, but also from the opportunity standpoint. Now, I, I like everybody else growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do growing up, but I knew that I kind of had that entrepreneurial bug. And despite having that entrepreneurial bug, I kind of followed in that path of go to college and then, you know, get a job with corporate America and work your way up. But it never felt right. And, and here was the great irony. I remember being in high school and my parents were prepping me for college saying, you've got to go to college. It's, it's the way to go. You can't get a good job without it. And it never sat right with me. It never felt right. Yet I went along with it anyways, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so sure enough, I got into a, a good little private college, good little private school, and um, I did miserable. I mean, every single semester I was on academic probation, and I, I ended up getting kicked out of the school for way, way you know, too poor of grades after two and a half um, years of being there. And I remember my parents were devastated. They thought, oh my gosh, my son, this is the end of him. You know, what's he going to do? And, and inside, I was elated. I was so glad to have an excuse to get out in the real world and start making money and, you know, to, to prove to them that I wasn't meant for school. I was meant to be out here doing big things. And so I took a job in the car business of all things because I loved cars. You know, when you're, Listen, when you're 19 years old and, and you just got kicked out of college, seems like a logical thing to do. And the car business was amazing because it taught me some of the fundamental things that I use today. It taught me sales. It taught me leadership. It taught me how to talk to people that you've never met before, but you know how to go from nice to meet you to closing a big deal. And those are really valuable lessons to have in life because you can then parlay those things into whatever it is you're meant to do down the road. And it also taught me some of the other things that were a possibility for me. So I sold cars for like three months. And by the end of those three months, I went from the new kid to the number one salesman in the dealership out of like 25 guys. So then they promoted me to the finance department, which is really just another form of sales. And I did well in the finance department and ended up running that entire department about nine months into my journey here. And that's where I started to learn leadership because it was tough. None of the guys wanted to be led by the new kid at the dealership. You know, it was kind of a, 
a rough scenario to be put in. So I had to learn how to lead them, how to win them over, how to get a little bit of respect. And I learned that if you're the hardest working person there, and if you show up first and leave last, and if you lead by example, given enough time for that example to play out, then people will come around and they will follow you because they realize that you've got their best interest in heart and that you're going to work just as hard as them. So I've learned sales, I've learned leadership at this point, and all of my friends were starting to go over to the mortgage boom that was starting to happen at this time and make a lot of money. And I said, well, of course, I want to go make a lot of money. So I took a job as a loan officer with a, a big international bank at the time. And it was great. I flew up through the ranks. I, I took what I learned in the car business and applied it to the mortgage business. And I went from a, a loan officer to having my own branch and then getting a bigger branch. And before you knew it, I was running a district and then uh, I was running a region. And right up until the big recession that hit, I had quickly worked my way up to a senior vice president, uh, probably overseeing about 1,100 people. And so it was already at that point a bit of a success story considering I had been kicked out of college. And I had kind of won my parents' faith at that point, I think, that, hey, everything's going to turn out okay. Now, here was the crazy part. I was a young kid in my 20s, my, my upper 20s at this point, and I thought this was going to last forever. And I never took care of all of the money I was making. I, I used to joke, and it's not funny, but I used to joke that, hey, I'm spending this year's money and next year's money. And I bought way too big of a house and several cars. And my wife and I were living way beyond our means because we didn't know any better. And when the big recession hit, my income shut off like a faucet. I remember the first year I took $150,000 pay cut and my job went from leading sales and motivating people to getting up first thing in the morning, getting on an airplane, flying to some small town and shutting down their bank branch and sitting there one-on-one -on -one with most of the time people that were older than me saying, we're letting you go today. And I, I want to tell you about your severance package that you're getting and answer any questions that you have. And this was up to this point, the worst year of my life. Personally, I, I was unfulfilled. I was miserable. I was starting to gain weight. Professionally, I hated what I was doing because that's miserable to, to fly around and tell people, you know, almost a thousand people one by one by one, hey, we're letting you go. And even in my marriage, it had reached a low point because when you're miserable inside, you make for a miserable partner as well. And so I knew something had to change. And this was because we also lost everything. We lost that home. We lost those cars. We lost everything and had to start over. This was my wife's wake-up call. This is where she said, Chris, you've always been the breadwinner up to this point, and I'm not going to let this happen again. So in your mess, a lot of times are always a bunch of beautiful lessons. We got a lot of beautiful lessons during this time, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. We learned how to take care of our money. We learned how to reinvent ourselves. We learned actually what really made us happy at the core, and I can speak to some of those things later. Um, we learned how to get through rough times and we learned how to go be the entrepreneurs that we were meant to be instead of working for somebody else. And so that was the start of the journey that most of the people know us to be on today.
You've touched on so many uh, things there on your journey. Um, it's uh, very, very interesting that some of the skills that will be with us forever and it will be needed in any place, in any market, regardless of how many robots they roll out, but marketing, sales, leadership, wealth management, all these different skill sets that you acquired through the, the beginning of that journey and then going into from leaving the corporate America into entrepreneurship. Now, there's a lot of belief systems around money and you talk about this a lot um, to really break it down uh, at the core because we all have a relationship of, mo of money, of the, to money, of how we grow up, what we perceived it to be as. Um, and as you've mentioned before, it, it's, it's, it's only a tool, right? And then apart with that belief system and said, there's this fear. So can you share uh, just a little bit about the beliefs that you had let go that was holding you back or that you had changed uh, some, some of the, the ways that your relationship to money itself changed and then how you basically uh, won over that fear that holds a lot of people back from taking that leap from corporate America into that entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. I, I love talking about this stuff, MC. So you know, I've had so many lessons in my life and, and that's what I love is now sharing these lessons. And one of the biggest lessons around money that I've had is that you can always make more. As a matter of fact, when you own that empowering thought of the amount of money that I accumulate is fully in my control, it is fully up to me. When you actually own that, it can be scary, but it can also be empowering. It's scary if you take ownership of that because then you have to admit that wherever you are today, that's your fault. But then it's empowering because you realize, wait a minute, if my financial future is a hundred percent up to me, then that means I can really be and have anywhere that I want to be and have. And so that's what I learned working a hundred percent commission in the car business. You know, you only got what you went out and were able to accumulate. That's what I learned in banking because I was one third salary, two thirds bonus. And that's what I learned in entrepreneurship is if you don't go out there and create revenue, then you know, you're not going to have any revenue to invest into other things that you want to invest into. And so that's been, once I learned that, once I grasped that, that's been one of the most empowering thoughts for Lori and I is that we can always get bigger than our problems. Matter of fact, any time, I, I remember my wife actually taught this to me. And it was almost an accidental lesson. But when we were going through our mess, MC, I remember we had this bill that we had to pay. And I was stressing on how are we going to pay this bill? And she looked at me and she said, well, we're just going to get bigger than our problems. And in that moment, it made so much sense. In that moment, it was like, well, duh, of, of course we are. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I shifted from, oh, how are we going to do this, which is a stressful thought of lack to, all right, how are we going to do this? Which is an empowering thought of, and you can hear it in my posture, in my voice there, an empowering thought of, all right, what are the mechanics behind creating more revenue that will make us larger than the problem that we face right now? So anytime that people can shift their posture from, you know, money scares me and it's out of my control to, I, this empowering thought of money is fully in my control and I can create as much revenue or I can create as much income as I want to. That is when everything starts falling into place because you're going to attract what your thoughts are. If your thoughts are of lack, in other words, money owns me, 
and I have trouble getting more, unfortunately, you're going to be stuck there forever. When you can shift it to, I control money and I can create as much as I want, that is when everything starts, you know, they say, they say when am I going to catch my break? Well, that is when you start catching your break. Right. It definitely clarifies it at that stage when you, it's almost like that <laughs> the moment that you have that I'm my greatest and biggest asset. This is all dependent on me. And that's when you finally take back that control in, in your life and empower it. Now you and Lori have built uh, multi-million dollar businesses together. And uh, my wife, Megan is absolutely my rock. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a joy working on our stuff together as well. What are some of the biggest keys to uh, building these multi-million dollar businesses um, with your significant other? I love this subject because it's tricky. You know, when I first came home from corporate, corporate America, I was used to hierarchy where you had power because of a title. And when you get home, that doesn't quite translate. I remember when I came home from corporate America and said, hey, babe, we're going to build these businesses and we're going to turn you into a brand and yay, you know, all these big dreams. I would, the way I would communicate to her would shut her right down. You know, I would say, we need to hit this goal and we need, 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 and, and we must, must, must. And I would say it with this posture that she absolutely was not receiving because the way she operated was from a place of, I want to serve and I want to make sure I'm, you know, creating impact. And I want to, you know, all of these lovely thoughts. And I hadn't done enough self-development up to that point. So for me, it was all need, 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 must, must, must. And so once again, you know, the, the lessons that we learn as we go throughout life, one of the biggest lessons that we had to learn was how to communicate with each other. And I remember the first six months was really rough figuring that out. The next six months after that got better because we sat down and said, we need to figure out how to communicate or we're just going to keep fighting. And we would literally role play MC. Lori, when I need to bring up budget, how do you want me to say it? Or Lori, when I need to bring up marketing, how do you want me to bring it up? And she would do the same thing. She'd say, how do you want me to talk about this? How do you want me to receive that? And by putting those things on the table and saying, how do you want me to speak? How do you want me to approach? How do you want me to be in these situations? I was able to clearly define how to act towards her. And she was able to clearly define how to act towards me so that we stopped hitting those triggers in each other that cause the fights. And guess what happens when you stop hitting those triggers? You become so much more productive and happier as a result. Because working together as a couple can be tricky. I think when you are working with, you know, a, a bunch of guys in the office or, or, you know, people that are just coworkers, you don't have all that history together. But when you're working together as a couple, unfortunately, you can't separate the history you have together from the business. And so if you were fighting over the dishes that morning and now you're talking about budget, there's going to be some residual angst that comes in when you're talking about the budget later because of the argument about the dishes earlier. And so you need to learn how to navigate those things. Another thing that Lori and I have set into place to make sure that we stay a romantic couple as much as we stay thriving business partners is by having very clear boundaries with those two things. So for example, every single night, it is a non-negotiable. Even when we don't feel like it, it's a non-negotiable that we grab the dog at the end of our workday and we go for a three-mile walk. And here's why. When you go for a three-mile mile walk, it changes your state. It changes your location. It physically changes 
the feelings that you're having and the location that you've been having them in. And so if we've had a great day, good, it continues on the walk. If we've had a bad day, then it's a chance for us to hit the reset button by changing our state and changing our physical location. And sometimes, MC, we don't even talk for the first two miles, right? There's just that bad energy and that that quietness. But eventually, one of us starts talking. And without having that clearing at the end of every single day, we would probably drag some of those negotiations or, or arguments or budget talks into the evening and we'd sit there, you know, with our backs to each other on the couch. And that does, that does no good for anybody. So you have to have some kind of physical built-in non-negotiable reset button at the end of your day. And it doesn't have to be a three-mile walk. You know, maybe it's a meditation in an area where you don't do your business. Maybe it is a quick jog. Maybe you guys go to the gym together. Who knows what it is, but without that physical barrier, you're just going to keep carrying those emotions from the day into your relationship that night. And it's going to be very hard eventually to keep having a romantic relationship where you feel in love versus just feeling like business partners. Another thing we've implemented is what we call fry dates. And again, not everybody can fit this into their schedule, but we do a lot of working seven days a week and we realized that's not healthy for us. So we said on Fridays, no matter what the opportunity is, no matter what it is, we say no to it if it's business and we go on Fridays for the whole day. And by building that in, knowing that we have this one day where it's you know zero work and all fun together, that's gone a long way towards making sure we stay a wonderful couple as well as being wonderful business partners. So it's it's a lot of those things from the communication to the physical barriers and so on that are very important to learn if you're going to thrive as significant others in business. And the boundaries that you set though too and the clear channels of communication because you know like you mentioned it's uh, very easy to get into uh into that world where you do have a location independent business which and you're working together but it could also be you know that the problem is that you do have a location independent business and you are working together so there's no boundaries and communication and it also clearly identifies the roles when you guys grow and build your teams together you're you're absolutely spot on as a matter of fact we had to choose which one of us was the person where you know the buck stops here who gets to make the final decision and in what cases they get to make the final decision and so Sometimes, even if I don't agree with the decision, we have decided that in all things that relate to Lori's brand, the buck stops with her. If she doesn't want to do something or if she doesn't think it's the right fit, no matter how great I think it is, she gets final decision on that. And the same thing with my brand, the the buck stops with me, even if she's not comfortable or doesn't like um, where it's going or doesn't think it's the right move, I get final decision on that. And then when it comes to all things budget, um, I, the buck stops with me and, um, I get to override anything that has to do with spending on giant marketing campaigns and that kind of thing. So she gets to choose direction. I get to choose spending and without having those clearly defined roles, it's just going to turn into this infinite argument because you need that person who gets final stay in order to end that argument. You're listening to Chris Harder on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, 
Small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Chris Harder on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. And then that ties into what you've spoken about quite a bit too is the leadership aspect of it too. Uh, being a, a great leader means also being able to follow the lead of others, as you mentioned, in that clearly defined roles. What are some of uh, the other keys that you can share to great leadership with my listeners? So great leadership, no matter what situation you're in, whether it's corporate America, whether you're in entrepreneurship, whether you're a solopreneur or you've got a one or two or three or four person team, um, regardless of what situation you're in, leadership comes down to, are you setting the pace and are you setting the example? There are way too many people that fall into lazy leadership. And, and that is, they may know what to do and they may be able to communicate what to do very well. But if they're not setting the pace and leading by example themselves, then other people will eventually grow to resent them or decide that, hey, I can set the pace on my own. I don't need you to be my leader. And they'll go off and they'll do it on their own. And so one of the easiest ways to be a good leader is to make sure that you're always fully aware of what is the pace that I want this to grow at? And am I setting that pace or am I expecting somebody else to set that pace for me? You always want to be the pace setter when it comes to leadership. And if you think about it, why would anybody, if it's your business, want to work harder or faster than you? I mean, at first they might if they want to prove themselves, but eventually that's going to have the law of diminishing returns and they're going to start turning from, I want to prove myself to, well, you don't do it that quickly, so why would I do it that quickly? Or or you're not acting with urgency, so why would I want to act with urgency? And I, I think another really key, uh, important piece of leadership is communication. I touched on this with my story with Lori, but it doesn't go just for your significant other. It goes for everybody. It's very important to put it on the table to understand who you're working with, whether they're your um, equal or whether they work for you or whether they're your superior. It doesn't matter. You need to know who you're working with, what their personality type is, and have that conversation of, hey, how do you like to be communicated with? And that goes from modalities such as text or email or phone calls or in person all the way to tone of voice. And, you know, do you like me to explain the details or do you just want the cliff notes? And by putting that on the table and asking each individual that you, you know, work significantly with, how do you like being communicated with and clearly defining that? Then it's going to avoid a lot of miscommunications. It's going to avoid any hard feelings and you're going to have a much more positive and productive atmosphere no matter what it is that you do. It's so, so true. That's uh, one of the lessons that I've learned about leadership too is uh, just specifically with each individual as part of this team dynamic to take everything into consideration because everybody, it's, it's, we, you know, everybody's different individuals. We all have different skill set. We all have different needs. Um, re rewards mean different things to people, right? Sometimes, you know, we always think that if someone uh, is doing something, a great reward would come in the form of a bonus, which is monetary, but there's, 
other things that are more important for other people. Everyone has a separate and different currency. So it's so, so true. And then tying this leadership in, you guys have had enormous success into uh, with the network marketing industry, which there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about that industry, which we will get into. But I just wanted to say as part of that too, being a leader and developing as a leader and that industry and building teams. I mean, it's a fantastic platform for the training that you will get. And as you mentioned, uh, marketing sales and then developing as a leader and building high performance teams. Um, can you talk a little bit to why it's this industry is so misunderstood and some of the benefits that you've personally found um, in your growth, uh, not only for your business, but personally as well? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, network marketing is one of our three major businesses. And so it re- represents a significant silo of income for us. And I've, it's funny because you're asking the right guy this question. MC, when I first heard of network marketing, I was 100% against it. You know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just kind of took the opinions of people around me. It's, oh, it's one of those things. Everybody in it is kind of annoying. And so that was my formal opinion at the time. The thing is, we accidentally got into it. Friends of ours were using some products and we started using them and had significant physical success on them and felt a lot better. But we were so closed off to the industry that when people would ask us, hey, you look great or hey, you've lost weight or hey, what are you doing differently? We wouldn't give credit to the products. We'd say, oh, we added an extra walks in the evening or we started jogging or <laughs> two-a-day workouts or whatever it was because our walls were up about the industry so much. Now, when I was miserable in corporate America and something needed to change, my wife had this experience that changed everything for us. And that was one of her friends stopped her on a walk and said, Lori, I know you're doing something different. I heard you doing something different. You got to share what it is because I'm dying over here trying to lose some weight. And Lori looked at her and she said, I didn't want to tell you because it's this thing, it's network marketing. And I was so afraid you were going to think I was trying to sell it to you but it's such and such. And it has totally changed my life over the past year. And her friend looked at her and she goes, you B word. She literally swore at her. She goes, you B word. She goes, what kind of friend would have something that works so well for them and wouldn't share it with their other friends who they see struggling. And that was Lori's giant aha moment that, wait a minute, not only should we not be hiding this, because of our opinions about the industry, but we probably have a moral obligation to share this if it's really working for us. And she came home and she was so excited to share that story with me, MC, because she knew how I felt about it. I love the products, but I didn't like the industry. And she thought this might be that opportunity that we can take and run with in order to change the rough situation that we were in. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. She told me the story. I said, all right, you know, let's, let's try it, but I'm not sold. And long story short, I ended up discovering an industry that I love today. And I, here's why I love this industry. I love the industry because there's no safer place, in my opinion, to learn entrepreneurship. You know, the downside is almost nothing for most network marketing companies. It's typically some kind of product that will benefit you if you take it regularly. And it's money that you're redirecting from something you would be spending anyways to that new product that helps you. So the downside is very, very limited, but the upside is huge. We have, so Lori and I, we, we make multiple seven figures each year from our network marketing business alone. And that's 
income. That's not revenue. That's income. And we have several friends on our team that make seven figures or multiple, multiple six figures. And this has become life-changing money for them. And they really risked nothing to see if it was a good fit for them or not. Now, here's the thing. The reason why network marketing gets such a, a knock on it is that everybody is allowed to play. In other words, everybody gets to try it, even if they don't give their best effort. And a good analogy I love to use is football. Imagine if NFL Sunday, all of those one-of-a-kind rare athletes that we currently watch today, imagine if all of us got to go out there and play. You know, some of us don't even take care of ourselves. Some of us have bad habits. Some of us don't have good work ethic. But on Sunday, we'd show up and we'd go out there, we'd play football in front of, you know, millions of people. It wouldn't be a very quality sport, would it? It'd be totally watered down and a bunch of people would say, oh, man, that looks like a real crap show over there. See, it doesn't work. Well, that's the network marketing industry is people, everyone gets to try it. Even if they haven't been trained well in entrepreneurship, even if they don't have good habits of follow through, even if they're not taking it seriously, even if they you know, d- dip their toes into it, but then decide it's not for them. But the problem is this, everyone has that story of someone that they think gave a good effort towards it. So they say, oh, it's one of those things. I heard it doesn't work. And what they really heard was their friend who didn't take it seriously, but dabbled in it because they were excited for five minutes. It didn't work out for them. And that's why it gets such a bad knock is there's, there's no accountability in it. There's no official um, requirements for you to be able to try it out. And so the number of people that try it versus the number of people that truly succeed is a very skewed number for those reasons. Now, other reasons why I love the industry though, as I've grown to, to really get to know it and become a leader in it over the past seven years is that not only is it the easiest way to learn entrepreneurship, but it's also a great way to learn leadership because you only succeed if you learn how to build a team, if you learn how to communicate, if you learn how to set the pace, if you learn how to do things that can be duplicated instead of just showcasing your own talents, if you learn how to train people and care about people and put others' needs first ahead of yours. These are all things that you learn, even if you haven't learned them yet, if you take network marketing seriously, because it is the only way to succeed by building this team that will run at the same pace as what you're running at. So everything from the low risk, high upside to the lessons that you learn, um, I just think it's really a beautiful and misunderstood industry. And I love uh, the systems and processes that it teaches you basically how this works. And as you mentioned, the duplication to it. And just for myself personally, studying a little bit about different companies um, is what I did when, when I was busy systematizing my business and fine-tuning my processes because it truly, they have it down. <laughs> it's, a, it's a proven system. So these systems have worked for a lot of people. So this is something for entrepreneurs, even if you're, you're part of this and learning as to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, uh, this is just uh, v- so much valuable uh, information and education. And it's, it's incredible. Well, and one thing I love is like what Lori and I did, if you build up a strong revenue stream in network marketing, that becomes the seed money for you to invest in what you were really meant to do. So if you've got great big dreams to be this or great big dreams to be that, and you don't have the money to invest in it yet, what are your options? You know, you can go out and get outside money, which is difficult to do sometimes, or you can create your own revenue and let that be the seed money to then invest in what you were really meant to do. And it makes 
it's so much easier to grow your brands, to grow your companies, to grow the other things that were really your ultimate hopes and dreams. And so everything about it, you know, I, I think when people really do their due diligence and investigate it and talk to the right people, they realize it can be a beautiful thing. Now, Chris, you uh, do amazing things on your podcast and talk about how we should be truly unapologetic about our pursuit of wealth and success. And again, that ties into mindset that we touched at the beginning. What are some of the big drivers for this? And what are some of the things that you share with people why they should absolutely not be unapologetic uh, about their pursuit for wealth and success? You know, it's an epidemic that I'm trying to shift and I need everyone's help to shift this epidemic. And that is the epidemic of saying the rich are greedy or the rich got lucky or the rich screwed somebody to, you know, to get where they are today. The problem is when you have that, those feelings, when you, when that is the opinion that you hold, what you're really doing is pushing yourself further and further and further away from accumulating any kind of wealth that you could then share with the people you care about or the causes that you care about. You see, money is nothing more than a tool. Money isn't good or bad. Money is it's literally just a tool, no different than a shovel or a rake that you can use to create something that you want to create. And so the more that you have of this tool, the easier it is to create what it is that you want to create. So if you're a good, loving person, that wants to create something good in the world, then it's just going to be easier for you to create something good in the world. If you are a, you know, a bad or miserable human being, then it's just going to amplify that side of you as well. And you're going to be a little bit worse and you're going to be a little bit more miserable. And so if you're listening and, and I got to believe that inherently most people that are listening to a podcast like this are great human beings that are also motivated and would do something good with their money. Then if you're listening and the strikes accord with you, you should become unapologetic about your pursuit of wealth and your pursuit of success. Because when you raise that, that bar, when you start making that money, you can then invest it into the causes you care about and the people you care about. You can take away pain with this tool called money. It's a beautiful thing once you decide that it's simply going to enhance who you are today. Chris, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? Great question. You know, one of the fundamental beliefs is that you always have to be growing. Matter of fact, I think you're happiest when you're growing. Of course, your business will do better and financially you'll do better. But at the core, we just want to be happy every day when we wake up, right? And, and you're happiest when you are investing in your self-growth. Your relationships are better and everything just falls into place a little bit easier. So a while back, uh, three years ago, I had read 30 books in 30 days. And the reason why I had read 30 books in 30 days was because you ever hear the phrase, good is the enemy of great? Well, things were good for us, but I, I knew I had greatness inside of me. I wasn't tapping into it. And that can be a very lonely place to be you know, just going through the motions when you know you're supposed to be doing something much bigger and better. And on top of that, my wife was on a rocket ship. Like her trajectory was going to the moon. And if I was just going to stay down here treading water, it didn't take a genius to figure out that I was going to wake up one day and we were going to be way too far apart to have a strong relationship anymore. So I knew I had to do something to to really up-level my game and you know, it's a long story, so I'll spare you of how I came across the idea to read 30 books in 30 days, but I committed to it and I did it and I learned so many beautiful lessons. 
And the biggest lesson that I learned when I read 30 books in 30 days was the lesson of giving. Giving, it was the common thread through all 30 books, even though they weren't books on giving. I mean, they were book, they were autobiographies. They were how-to books. They were spiritual books. They were, um, you name it. They were very diverse in what the book was intending on teaching. Yet 30 out of 30 books had the common thread of giving being the secret to whatever it is they were trying to teach. Giving will make you happier. Giving will make you healthier. Giving is the secret to business success. Giving is the secret to good relationships. And so now what I'm working on is trying to learn better ways that I can leverage my time and leverage our, our income and leverage our um, resources in order to be better and bigger givers. So I've done fun things like leveraging my audience to the, to the uh, seven day generosity challenge where in one week's time we were trying to get a hundred thousand acts of generosity posted on Instagram. I think we ended up getting 25,000, which was pretty cool to go from zero to 25,000 in a week's time. Um, you know, I've just, I've been really working on ways to enroll other people in this mission of one, earning more money, which is just a tool for good. And then two, leveraging that tool to make greater impact because we are in a time right now in this world where we need all hands on deck, where we need everybody living up to their potential and we need everybody contributing towards making positive impact. You can't sit back and say, ah, that's someone else's job. Or you can't sit back and say, oh, you know, I've never done it before now, so why should I start now? We literally are in the time where we need all hands on deck. So that's my mission right now is to inspire people to take action, to, to get bigger, to get better, and for everybody to contribute. Very, very powerful. And as you mentioned before, there's really no excuse because I think you spoke about it. All they have to do truly, if they want to start to do something, even if you don't know how to in the beginning is Google it. Yes. Yes. That's funny. I did an entire episode on that, you know, and, and guys, we live in a time where there's no excuses. Like no one's hiding any secrets from you. I've, I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of great influencer friends and multimillionaire friends and you know a couple billionaire friends and you name it. And guess what? Everybody is putting everything out there. No one's hiding anything from you. All you have to do is Google it. All you have to do is ask. All, you know, most programs now are free. Most e-courses now, there's a free version of one. Of course, there's always ones you can buy, but there's enough information in the free ones that you can opt into to get a good start and get momentum in, in what you want to pursue. There's nothing holding anybody back in this day and age. Absolutely. Now, our core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Ooh, that's a good question. Three principles to pass down. Um, okay, this is easy. Number one, I just touched on it, but giving is the secret to everything you want. And so no matter what it is that you want, a better relationship, a better body, a better business, more money, whatever, giving is the secret to getting back more of what you want. The second thing that I would pass down is always be growing. When, when you stop seeking growth, that's when you become unhappy. When you stop seeking growth, that's when you 
you know, you lose your money. When you stop seeking growth, that's when relationships fall apart. If you commit to always be growing your mind, your body, your habits, your circle of influence, everything, that is when momentum is in your favor. And it is the second secret to everything that you want is committing to always be, you know, always keep growing. The third one is this. All there is is love. You know, I used to be, uh, I'll spare you the story, but I used to be a judgmental person. I used to be the person who wanted to, you know, if you did something to me, I was going to do something back to you 10 times bigger. Um, it, it's, it's funny how we go through, you know, a significant number of our years with a certain set of beliefs. And then you start doing a little bit of work and you start figuring a few things out and you really realize that it all comes down to, did you have love? Did you do that action with love? Did you wake up with loving intentions? And the great irony is this. So many people think they can muscle or connive their way to what they want. And sometimes they get there temporarily, but it'll always fall apart. But you can always, you can always love your way to what you want. I guarantee you. So powerful. Chris, how can my listeners learn more about you, uh, all of your businesses, your amazing podcast, and stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? MC, I appreciate the question. So the easiest way to follow me, I love Instagram for some reason. I am Chris W. Harder on Instagram, and I do my best to answer all the comments and all the messages. And then tune into my podcast by going to fortheloveofmoney.com, and that's F-O-R, fortheloveofmoney.com. I kick out two episodes every single week, and I'm about to switch it to three. I've got some exciting things coming up. Chris, this has been a blast connecting. Thank you so much for coming on the my show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so, so much value for my listeners. MC has been my privilege. Thank you for joining my guest, Chris Harder, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 442. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you are an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, you can sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to create passive income and become financially free. In just over three years, they've created a lease 
option empire with over 170 properties. They can show you how to do the same. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinopsproperties.com. You can also check them out on YouTube. Just search Join Ops Properties or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.